Hey, welcome to another edition of the College 12-Pack. I am your host, Patrick Khan. Uh, with me, as always, Tyler Natuno. Uh, if you're tuning in on YouTube, you're seeing him. Uh, on your right, to my left, uh, Tyler, it uh, seems like there's still football to talk about, but we got a lot of basketball we've got to get to with with Caitlin Clark, uh, with, you know, we're, we're getting towards the Ides of March, and, you know, Ides of March means conference tournaments, getting ready for the selection show, getting ready for March Madness, which you know a lot of us are excited about. But I, I did want to start off with a football topic. Let's get that out of the way. Uh, the coaching carousel spins on, or it, it did briefly. Chip Kelly stepped down, resigned, whatever you want to say, from his head coaching position at UCLA, and then turns around to accept an offensive coordinator position at Ohio State, which was made vacant because the recently hired um, Bill O'Brien is leaving to take left to take Boston College job. And so the interesting part is uh, this is probably the least surprising thing of the whole carousel because it seemed like Chip Kelly wanted an offensive coordinator position anywhere uh, just to get him out of UCLA. And I don't know if it's that he doesn't like UCLA. I mean, he spent a good amount of time there, or is it the fact that maybe he just doesn't want to be a head coach anymore? Yeah, I mean, I sort of lean toward the latter. You know, I think that he sort of, he, he to me pretty squarely falls into the camp of, of, you know, coaches that we've seen, you know, more old school minded coaches that are just not really about, and I mean, I don't say this like derogatorily, but just they're just not really about where this sport is heading, you know, They don't want to be devoting so much of their time to recruiting and NIL negotiations and transfer portal scouting. Like they just want to coach football. So he's going to Ohio state to do just that, you know, to be the offensive coordinator, you know, it's kind of a conversation for another podcast, but they've had phenomenal off season. And then, you know, bringing in a guy who's, you know, still as good an offensive mind, I think is pretty much anyone in the country is, but, but yeah, like you said, I mean, you know, he was looking at NFL jobs, NFL jobs are the reason we're, we're seeing this late cycle. I mean, you know, there's been, multiple domino effects. Obviously the Saban retirement was its own deal, but then we saw, you know, Halfley leave to be the the Packers DC, which opened up the Boston college job for Bill O'Brien. So I think, you know, the interest in coaches leaving for the NFL is why we've seen this cycle go so late. Um, uh, but, you know, it's kind of left UCLA in an awkward time in the cycle, you know, trying to trying to make a hire in February. I mean, you know, national signing day is already wrapped up. The, the, the first transfer portal windows wrapped up, you know, guys that, might've been interested in the job like Jed fish have already been scooped up by other programs. So that kind of left them in a, in a pretty awkward position to, to try to make a replacement hire. Yeah, it really did. And you know, they, they ultimately went with continuity here and, you know, a guy who has spent most of his football life in California, uh, obviously playing, you know, in high school was a USA today, California player of the year talking about Deshaun Foster, who takes over as the, the head coach. He was a, student assistant after playing for UCLA for three plus years, um, graduate assistant at UCLA did one year at Texas tech as the running backs coach under cliff Kingsbury. And then since then has been with UCLA and now he gets the head coaching job. I believe there was speculation that he was actually going to go to the, the NFL side of things. Um, and then, well, nothing really happened in that regard. Now he's the head coach. You know, and I, I think, I think this is a good hire for for one. You have a UCLA guy, um, a guy who who believes in this program. Obviously, spent time as a student assistant, graduate assistant, 
assistant coach, and now he gets to run the program. So I think that's a great hire. He's a relatively young coach. So um, they needed some excitement somewhere at UCLA because going into this Big Ten in 2024, um, it's going to get tough. There's 18 teams in there, and then obviously you're bringing Washington, Oregon over uh, along with USC. So we got some fresh blood going to the Big Ten, but also, as you alluded to just previously, <laughs> Ohio State's loaded. Um, and don't forget, Oregon's loaded up too. So uh, it's it's going to be a, a tough go. So they, they needed a quality hire. And I think while he may not be proven as a coordinator, um, you know, he doesn't have to focus on that. He can be that CEO walk-around head coach. Yeah, and just just to clarify one thing, he did uh, he did leave for the NFL very briefly. took a took a job with the Raiders, I believe, as their running backs coach for less than two weeks. I think, if if even right. that. Um, right. So so he's leaving to come back to UCLA. Had previously been on staff since I think like I, 2017. I think was when he came back from that one year at Texas Tech. Yeah. yeah. So had been on, been there for you know the entirety of the Chip Kelly era and even prior to the the Chip Kelly era. So. You know, obviously a guy, former player, a lot of familiarity, very exciting for him. You know, I think it's it's great to see, you know, a guy like that get an opportunity like this, even if, you know, maybe it only came about because of the timing of this whole thing. Um, you know, whether it had been a broader search, if it was happening, you know, in December, if they had ultimately chosen to fire Chip Kelly, like it sounded like they were going to before they upset USC. Does this search look very different? Probably, but I mean, I, I think, you know, continuity hires make sense. There were a couple options they could have gone with, you know, guys that would have brought continuity to the table. I think Foster's one that makes a lot of sense, though. You know, a younger guy, former player, played in the NFL. I think all these things are, are appealing. You know, it's going to be a tough job. You know, like you said, going into a Big Ten where it's really not clear where they stack up. You know, I, I think it's really hard for me to evaluate what this football program even is in the modern era because it's just, you know, it's been a lot of inconsistency. It's been hard to to manage consistent success there. but. um you know, I think this was as good a hire as they were going to make, you know, barring something very shocking, you know, a, a poach that we were not expecting. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think the timing of it um, coming just days after National Signing Day, um, obviously now UCLA players can enter the transfer portal because of Chip Kelly leaving. There's that 30-day window. So, you know, there's a lot of roster management that he's going to have to do. Um, and let's not forget we're less than, you know, what, six weeks, eight weeks away from spring ball. So there, there's a lot to get done in this whole period. Um, so they, they had to make the move quickly. Um, given what was out there, I mean, that was probably the best route that they could go at this point. And we'll see how that all plays out. We'll get into that more uh, as spring ball comes around and even into the summer and, and into the fall as we get ready for the a very wild 20 and 20, 2024 season, uh, which – there's going to be a lot of change, uh, including the college football playoff, which we'll save for another podcast to discuss uh, what that all is going to entail. But I don't know if you know, but there's a big story uh, for Thursday night. Uh, if you're if you're watching this, listening to us Thursday night, uh, as we sit down to record on Wednesday, we we're, we're anticipating the Caitlin Clark watch. Uh, now, if you've been under a rock and have no idea. Um, you should be reading HawkeyesWire.usatoday.com. I'm just going to say they have been all over it. But Caitlin Clark is getting set to break the record, set a new high for the all-time women scoring leader. And she's only like 150 points behind Pistol Pete Maravich. Uh, all-time points. Nobody's going to touch his points per game. We, I think we all can agree on that. 
Um, but if you wanted to buy tickets to this game, Tyler, for the low price of $296, you can go on Ticketmaster and get, and get seat uh, get a seat to watch this. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. She had an opportunity to break the record. Uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, she did it. She was average. Okay, average for her. 31 points. I think uh, anybody else would take that. Uh, but average for her. So she gets the opportunity to kind of have her own day on Thursday. I mean, how excited are you? I mean, I know you are you cover LSU, and you covered them last year during the national championship game. But, like, how excited are you just to see what Caitlin Clark can do uh, in this game and breaking this record and having her moment? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, we're kind of just going to talk about it being a foregone conclusion. I mean, she's averaging, I want to say, 32, 32 point something points per game. So if she comes even close to hitting that average, uh, she will break that record easily. By a lot. I mean, yeah, by 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 a comfortable margin. So, I mean, I, yeah, I think it'll kind of just be more of a coronation than anything else for her um, for that game on Thursday night. But, like, yeah, I think it's really exciting. I think it shows, you know, I think the, the, the ticket price thing, I think to me is a really telling thing that you just brought up. And that's, it's been the case for Iowa, not just this game, by the way, like any, I, if you want to go to an Iowa game home or away, the prices are crazy. And the same has been true for like LSU too. Uh, they've sold out, I think every road game they've played. So that is a, a remarkable trend for the sport of women's college basketball. Like, yeah, I think Here's it's something the, that, sorry, what? Not to interrupt, but this is an interesting, interesting note. Uh, I, I believe Iowa women's basketball has only sold out three games in their history. They sold out of season tickets back in August. Okay, so that just shows yeah. you that everybody was already dialed in for the Caitlin Clark show. No, it's unbelievable. I mean, because we've seen, I mean, like, I mean, the UConn dynasties from a decade ago were among the most impressive feats we've seen in any sport ever, but it didn't have the same... I'm not really, I can't really tell you what's changed. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but, but something in the last few years, you know, people really care um, about women's basketball. You know, there's a, a, not just like an interest of people caring about their own teams, but there's casual fan interest that is, is unbelievable. It's really crazy to see it. Um, you know, and I think, I mean, like you said, you know, I mean, it helps when you've got, you know, players like Caitlin Clark that are doing phenomenal things. I mean, yeah, that Pete Maravich points per game record, that's probably unbreakable. But you know what? We thought his uh, we thought his total points record might have been unbreakable, too. I mean, you know, we saw the guy from uh, from Detroit Mercy last year needed five seasons and he didn't even get there. You know, he came close, but needed five years when Pistol Pete had you know no three point line and no shot clock. So the fact that Caitlin Clark is in, you know, even in the realm of possibility of doing that in four years is, is like, I can't put into words how unbelievable that is. Yeah. So if you don't have any plans Thursday night, I highly recommend watching Iowa versus Michigan, likely not going to be too competitive because Michigan's not exactly a great team, uh, but it's going to be a great moment for Caitlin Clark. And yeah, now it's, it's once she sets that record on Thursday, we know it's going to happen. All eyes are going to be on the chase for three thousand six hundred sixty-seven points as she tries to catch Pistol Pete Maravich. You know that that is going to be an exciting time. Uh, that's going to be an exciting game. And Tyler, I know um, even casual people who fans who don't actually watch um, are probably going to tune in. It's probably going to set some some uh, not just attendance records but but viewership uh but let's real, real quick to, sorry real quick yeah, before ahead. we move on while you're on that while you mentioned that point like that has been a recurring trend throughout this season by the way yeah. women's college basketball games have outperformed men's games on a night not just men's games but other sporting events and other like nba games and like 
they, it, it's been unbelievable the the, oh. uh, the support that it gets. Yeah, absolutely, and it's about time that they get some support because despite what you may think, uh, they have some really good athletes and they have some really good games. Uh, and Caitlin Clark has kind of become the um, college version of Steph Curry uh, with the range, with the shooting, but she's she can she's a double double triple double type of player. So that just shows you how good she is. All right, but let's we're going to switch over to the men's side. We're going to talk about the Power Six conferences, kind of getting you ramped up for the remaining uh, schedule. Roughly three weeks left, six to seven games, depending on what conference you're looking at. Let's start it off with the ACC. And Tyler, I want to know who's your riser, and I'm going to handle top dog for the ACC. What team is on the rise as we march toward the end of the season? Uh, yeah, so I've got Virginia on the rise. You know, a team that I think a couple months ago we were talking about it being kind of a down year for Virginia basketball. And it, and it certainly looked that way, you know, starting off. But, you know, they've been playing a lot better. Uh, you know, they've been one of the hottest teams in the country recently. They're coming off a loss last night to Pitt. Uh Another pit team that's that's pretty hot right now, but they uh, had prior to that were on an eight game winning streak. You know, had gone from a team that was you know probably on the outside of the cut line for the tournament looking in to now being a team that's squarely in the tournament. Um, sits at I think ten and four in SEC, in ACC play, so you know in the mix to to win that conference still even. So uh, you know, I think a team that is really turn, you know, turn the corner. And then, you know, you look at obviously wins they've got have become more impressive too. Like they beat Florida earlier in the season. That's a win that didn't look great at the time. Now looks a lot better than it did. So they've benefited from that as well. But, you know, a team that just really is, is playing a lot better at the right time. Yeah, I, I think so. And then obviously I think, you know, where we're going to go when we start talking, who's the top dog. And I think that's North Carolina, but you could argue that you know, they have their own issues. I mean, they lost to a, a Syracuse team who's not exactly bad, but that was a huge win for, for Autry in his first season as head coach at, at Syracuse. And But North Carolina's got some tough games coming up, um, including a game against, you know, Virginia. Uh, they, they have to go to Virginia. On February 24th, it's going to be a big game. And obviously the last game of the season at Cameron Indoor, Indoor Stadium there uh, against the Crazies. At Duke, but you know, I still think that North Carolina, when you look at their resume as a whole, they're one of the top teams. They've kind of slid down a little bit lately. Six and four in quad one, four and one in, in quad two, and four and one in quad three. Uh, but I still think that they're they're the team to beat, regardless of what you think. And uh, but I will tell you that loss last night kind of has opened the door for Duke to potentially kind of seize that. Or Virginia, like you said, with how they've been playing as of late. Uh, but the ACC, as always, has always got some tough teams. But uh, right now, for me, the class of the ACC is still going to be um, the North Carolina Tar Heels until proven otherwise. Um, but I think it sets up for some great action down down the stretch and sets up for some, some great games in the ACC tournament. Uh, I think any combination of these three teams is what you should expect down at the end, Virginia, Duke, and North Carolina. I think those are the kind of the three that everybody's got their eyes on. Yeah. And I think that North Carolina would have been like the slam dunk top dog pick a couple weeks ago, you know, yeah. sort of like, like you said, a backslid a bit since then they've dropped three of their last five, but the resume is still really impressive. You know, six quadrant one wins. That's nothing to scoff at. You got the win over Duke, but like you said, you still got to play them again in Durham 
So, you know, if you lose, you split that season series, all of a sudden, you know, you could very easily, you know, surrender them, you know, control of, of the regular season title, depending on what happens in some of these games down the stretch. Like, you know, like you mentioned, that game against UVA could end up being really key, especially if Duke is able to get some revenge uh, at Cameron Indoor. Absolutely. But hey, let's switch gears. Let's talk some uh, Big 12. It's kind of my neck of the woods. I know that a little bit pretty well uh obviously we know who the top dog is going to be and we'll get to that in a moment tyler uh but for me the risers got to be the iowa state cyclones a team that i don't know that they had that kind of buzz preseason to be one of the top teams that people were going to pay attention to but you have to look at it this way they've won six of their last seven games include including beating a kansas team who um is a tale of two different teams. They are they are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, if you look at how they play on the road, uh, how they play at home, um, they're coming off a, a 29-point drubbing uh, by Texas Tech in Lubbock, but also they didn't have their best player, Kevin McCuller. But still, you have to like what Iowa State's been able to do. They've been able to sustain success, like I said, six out of the last seven, and that's why I'm looking at Cyclones as a team who right now sit number two just behind uh, the Houston Cougars for that number one seed in the upcoming Big 12 tournament. Yeah, I mean, and you'll notice a recurring trend here is just teams that are are hitting their stride at the right time, and that's kind of what this Iowa State team is. I mean, they've been hovering in the top 10 of the net since early January, so it's nothing too new in that regard, but, you know, they've been very solid in conference play, you know, and, and have those wins over Kansas and Houston that really is, you know – doing a lot for their resume right now. They're number eight in the net. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a loaded Big 12. I feel like this is maybe a team we kind of forget about, but, you know, with the inconsistency that we've seen from Kansas, you know, maybe this is a team that's that's going to push, you know, the, the top dog in the conference. Yeah, the the teams that you expect to be near the top, Kansas and Baylor, while they're still there, they've been very inconsistent this year, and Iowa State's kind of been able to take advantage. Like you said, those two big wins. Uh, but to me – um, maybe I'm a bit biased, but maybe not. Arguably, the Big 12 is the toughest basketball conference in the country. Um, and, and that's saying something considering you, it would not be surprising to see the Big 12 champion to have four, five, six conference losses just because of how tough it is night in and night out. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Um, and, and, you know, that's why, I mean, it's hard to say who the top dog is because on any given night, it looks like it could be one of three or four different teams. But, but I would say right now, I mean, the, the pretty clear answer is Houston. They've been kind of the top dog the whole way. I mean, they've been the number one team in the net uh, every day since I want to say like December 16th, something like that, mid-December. So they've been, you know, right up there and it's easy to see why. I mean, they've won eight quad one games. They have an eight and three record in those contests. Um, not many teams, I, not in, you know, in doing my research, right? My research, I couldn't find a team that had more than eight quad one wins. Maybe, maybe that team exists, but, but not that I saw. Um, so, you know, and, you know, some really impressive ones in there, you know, wins on the road against a BYU team that ranks in the top 10 of the net, a Texas team that had, you know, sort of been up and down, but is also kind of starting to play a lot better right now. So, you know, those are things that look good. And, you know, they've got the loss at Kansas, but I mean, Kansas, like you said, inconsistent, but they're really good at home. You know, the, the Jekyll and Hyde-ness has mostly been when they play on the road. So there's nothing really too, uh, too like, that's, you know, something, anything that's weighing them down too heavily on that resume right now. They've got some nice wins um, and just continue to play really well. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. You talk about the, you know, we're talking about Kansas on the road just, you know, recently. 
four straight losses uh, on the road. And uh, they got another one coming up on Saturday is they got to go to Norman and play an Oklahoma team who's in the top 25 and been playing a lot better. Uh, they did just get uh, beat down a little bit by Baylor. But again, we talk about how Baylor is year in and year out seems to be one of the top teams. Uh, but let's not head on over to the Big East. You know, I to me, the Big East is kind of tricky because it seems like it's top heavy and like nobody really pull like to me when I look at it, nobody's really running away with it. Um, you know, um, as far as who could be that second, third team uh in the in the Big East, because we know the top dog is UConn. Defending national champions, we we know what what they can do. We've seen what they do um, consistently over history. I mean, Hurley has brought them back into the forefront. Obviously, last year with that run to the Final Four and then the championship. Um, so obviously, top dog. I'm going to stick with UConn. Uh, but you know, it, when it came to picking a riser, Tyler, how much did you struggle finding a good riser for this? Oh, this was the hardest conference for sure. There's just so much, it, it's so murky in the middle. Like you've got UConn, clearly the top team. I, UConn's probably, honestly, probably the most impressive team in the country right now. You know, riding a 12 game winning streak. Um, you know, they obviously defending champions, like repeating's hard. No one's done it since my Florida Gators back in 2007. But, it, you know, right now they probably have to be the favorite to do so. But outside of them, you look beyond them in the conference. I mean, maybe Marquette kind of stands atop, you know, with them in maybe that 1B tier. But beyond that, I mean, you've got a whole mix of teams that have, you know, just a lot of inconsistency, you know, good wins, bad losses, um, you know, similar records, uh, just kind of a mess. I'd say the one team I, that stood out to me, I think, as really sort of separated itself from the rest of the middle of the conference is Creighton, you know, a team that sits, you know, 15th in the net right now. They've been solid all year. There was never really a, a downstretch for them, but they've been really good. You know, they have a good conference record. Kind of the issue they have with their resume is they don't have like the the real marquee win in Big East play, you know, lost to UConn and stuff. What's really helping them is they have a home win uh, against Alabama back in non-conference play, which at the time didn't look great, but now Alabama's top five in the net. So that is doing a lot of work for them. Uh, but, you know, I'm curious to see where this team ultimately finishes in the standings and if they can make, uh, you know, a run at MSG. You know, they had the game earlier this year where they lost to UConn by uh, by 14, failed to score 50 points in that game, but they got another shot at home against UConn uh, coming up on uh, next Tuesday. Uh, so that's going to be a game to watch. Uh, they, they have some good matchups. Seton Hall, uh, St. John's, obviously, uh, just because of, you know, the head coach there, Patino. You know, that's a game you're going to circle. Uh, but they close out the year against Marquette at home and then on the road against Villanova. So we'll find out a lot about Creighton uh, kind of as we march on. <laughs> yeah, uh, pun intended there as we march on. <laughs> All right, speaking of marching on, we're going to go over to the Big Ten. Um, again, we talk about a conference that's top-heavy, it seems like. Uh, nobody really wows me when I look at the the – the teams, I mean, the, we know the team at the top, and we'll get to them in a minute. But uh, your riser's a team that's been known in the past to be a, a basketball power, and it kind of seems like like we've talked about. They're hitting their stride at the right time. It seems like things are going well for them. Um, and, and you want to talk about a team uh, that plays up in uh, Illinois. Yeah, yeah. I think the Fighting Illini, like, you know, again, a team that we expect to be near the top of this conference year in and year out, they usually are. 
Um, and I think, you know, this year, like, I feel like people kind of wrote this team off a little bit earlier in the year, and I'm not really sure why. Like, their only non-conference losses were to Tennessee and Marquette, which, I mean, certainly nothing too bad there. Uh, you know, two teams that are going to be probably top two or three seeds in the NCAA tournament. And then, you know, like they've been they've been pretty solid in Big Ten play. You know, they, they've won four of their last five. The only loss in that span was on the road against a pretty good Michigan State team. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, they are a team that's really been hovering in the top 15 of the net like all year. People aren't really talking about them, but I think they're as dangerous as they usually are. Um, and this is a team I think is going to get into the tournament as probably a four or five seed, something in that mix. And they're going to be pretty dangerous. Yeah, and led by a guy that I'm very familiar with, uh, TJ Shannon. Um, now that he seems to have had his legal issues behind him, uh, you know he's averaging 21.1 points per game. He's he's having the best season of his career, um, and and that looks like it's only going to continue. So I think as long as they can ride uh, TJ Shannon, they shouldn't have any problem because obviously he's he's done a phenomenal job of scoring and. That's why Illinois is a team you've got to pay attention to. Now, obviously, Purdue's the number one team. Um, they're number two in in the uh, coaches' poll behind who we previously talked about, UConn. Zach Eady is he does what he does. Problem with him and he's he's kind of uh, he's kind of a one sided type of player. You know, he's a he's a glass cleaner who will give you some points, but only. If he's close to the boards, you know, he doesn't have much of an offensive game outside of that. Uh, but still, who's going to match up with a seven foot four big man down low? Uh, the, the thing that they're going to have to figure out, Matt Painter, I'm looking at you, uh, is to avoid that early round loss. Because I think if they can really get into the thick of it, um, I, I think they're a team that can really make some noise. I don't know if they are championship material this year. Um, it, it always seems like champions kind of come out of nowhere. As we as we get into March, kind of like UConn did last year as a four seed, um, but they're a team that you're going to have to pay attention to, and they're they're a team that's really tough. And uh, unfortunately, your early pick didn't work out so well. Wisconsin looks really bad, but I think Purdue is a guy uh, is a team that you can lean on in the Big Ten at least until tournament. Yeah. Once again, sorry about that. Badgers fans. I kind of just jinxed your entire season, but whatever. Um, but no, I think that, I think that, uh, you know, like I said, I think UConn is probably the team that I'm most impressed with right now. And then I think, you know, Houston's obviously the team that it has the, you know, the best, uh, you know, metrics per the net. But honestly, when I look at, you know, like a blind resume test, there's nothing I don't think that impresses me as much as what Purdue's done this year. I mean, they're eight and two in quad one games and they, they're perfect against all other quadrants. Haven't lost to a quad two, three or four opponent this season. That's really good. You know, I think they've won eight games in a row, I believe. And, you know, like you said, it, this seems like a really solid Purdue team. Once again, I think the biggest question for Matt Painter, you know, fair or not, he has been painted with this sort of, you know, stereotype that he he can't win the big games in the tournament, you know, that they get upset and can't make those deep runs. Again, you know, maybe that's not fair, but when you're coming off, you know, becoming only the second team ever to lose to a 16 seed as the one seed, like this is what it is. So yeah, that's going to be the big question for them, I think, is can can they avoid, you know, a similar heartbreak this time around? Because I mean, once again, he's got a team that's, I think, good enough to beat pretty much anybody. Yeah. And like you said, you have that big man in the middle, 
he gives you an opportunity night in and night out. And that's why it's looking good for, for Purdue. Now we go over to Pac-12, and this is pretty wild because, you know, after this season, the Pac-12 will likely be no more. Um, they're going to they're gonna have to find new opponents, and I, I believe they came up with the Mountain West scheduling alliance, kind of like they did for football. Um, but one of those two teams that's in that scheduling alliance is going to be my riser pick, and we're talking about Washington State, the Cougs, man. I'm telling you. The Cougs are on fire. Um, they're they're winning a, a lot of games, you know, and it's not a terribly impressive um, Pac-12, but they do hold a victory over Arizona. Uh, it was a home win, and obviously they're going to have to go uh, play in Tucson in in coming weeks. But at the tear that they've been on as of late, you just have to really like what Washington State's doing. Yeah, and you know, Pac-12 doesn't get necessarily as much attention as some of the other power conferences do, and and this program doesn't get a ton of attention. But as impressive right now as pretty much anyone else in the country, one of the hottest teams um, in the nation right now, has pretty much played its way off the bubble. Um, you know, this was a team that was you know kind of like I talked about with Virginia, depending on where you looked, either sort of just inside the field or, or just on the outside looking in just a couple weeks ago. But but now they're pretty much widely considered to be solidly in the field of sixty eight. And, you know, a lot of the reason for that is the fact that they've won their last five games and three of those, the last three of them were on the road. They've won three straight games on the road, including, you know, wins over pretty competitive Oregon and Washington teams. You know, one of them obviously being a rivalry game. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty easy to like what they're doing right now. I think, you know, like we talked about, not the strongest Pac-12, not going to get a ton of bids this year, but this looks like it's probably going to be one of them. Yeah, in the the thing that you like, I well for me that I like most about looking at Washington State is the fact that they've got four guys that are averaging double digits. You know, it's it's not one guy carrying the load. You know, if it's you know Miles Rice who who does a good job shooting from the outside, leads the team in scoring at fifteen point six, but right behind him is Isaac Jones who's leading the team in rebounds. He's 15.5 points per game. He gives you that inside presence. Um, you know, it's it's not, you know, it, those two guys are leading the way, but it's not just those two. And and I think when you have a well-balanced team that can kind of spread it around, you know, and, and, and that comes in handy, especially in the tournament time, um, you know, when they take away your key guy and you have other options uh, to go with. It's not a one-trick pony. So I think that's the reason why we're higher on the Cougs. And like you said, they're probably going to be one of those few Pac-12 teams that gets a bid, uh, and they're looking strong right now. They're especially the streak that they've been on in in the recent last couple of months. Yeah, I mean they've been looking as strong as anyone in the conference, including maybe you know the team that we're going to say is pretty universally the top dog. I mean I think it's pretty hard to argue that it's anyone other than Arizona right now. You know, sort of a down year for the league. But Arizona has been pretty good. You know, they sit at 19 and five, which good record, not necessarily like overtly massively impressive on its face, but net loves them. They rank third in the net. Um, And I think a lot of the reason for that is because they're just getting rewarded for scheduling a non-conference slate that was pretty brutal. And I mean, it really helped their resume, the fact that they did it. I mean, they had non-conference wins over Duke, Wisconsin, Michigan State. So you know, that's really doing them a lot of favors right now. You know, the only real ugly spot on the resume is a road loss to an Oregon state team that sits outside the top 150 in the net right now. 
Um, so that, you know, that's quad three, that's a limiting factor for sure, but obviously it's not holding them back too much. If they're three in the net. So, you know, I think a team that a lot of people are projecting to be a one seed, it's kind of easy to see why. And like Washington state, they've won their last five and their last two were on the road against Utah and Colorado, which are both bubble teams. So, you know, good wins, you know, they're, they're really sort of taking control of, of a conference that just isn't all that great this year. Yeah, their toughest matchups coming up are going to be against Washington State, but that's at home. Um, and they also get Oregon at home. So that's going to be beneficial for them um, as they as they go towards the end. And, and they've got to pay attention to the rises that we talked about Washington State. They have a one-game lead for that number one seed. That's it. I mean, that's, that's how close those two teams have been. Washington State kind of owns the uh, tiebreaker at this point with the head-to-head. Uh, obviously, if they lose uh, in a couple of games against Washington State again, um, then they're the new top dog. But as it sits right now uh, in the Pac-12, our riser team and our top dog could be interchangeable uh, when you look at that. All right, let's finally get to what Tyler really wants to talk about, <laughs> those SEC hoops. Uh, Tyler, I have a sneaky feeling um, that you're going to go full homer with your riser pick, um, despite the fact that, on Tuesday night, they had to survive against a not great LSU team. Yeah, I am absolutely going full homer here, and we're just going to kind of ignore the fact that Florida almost blew a 20-point lead last night um, because at the end of the day, they've still won six of their last seven, two of which were uh, huge quad one wins, one of which on the road against Kentucky, the other one at home in blowout fashion against Auburn on Saturday. You know, a team that has like a lot of other teams we've talked about gone from being, you know, very much a bubble team, maybe on the outside looking in, depending on where you look to being projected as high as a seven seed. Now, um, you know, starting started one and three in sec play, it was looking like it was going to be a disappointing year. Um, but they've obviously been playing a lot better right now. Um, you know, they missed opportunities to win big games and non-conference play. They lost, you know, close games to Virginia, to Baylor. Uh, they lost on the road to Wake. So all of those would have been quad one wins. They're not. They're, Florida's only two and seven in quadrant one games right now, which isn't great. That's sort of the one limiting factor here. But they've been playing really good basketball recently. You know, the offense, when it's on, is as good as any offense in the country. The backcourt is 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 loaded. So I think this is a dangerous team in the SEC. You know, it's just going to be about how they finish because I I don't think they've played themselves to the point where they're completely safe. But when you look at the remaining schedule, it was pretty front-loaded for the Gators. So they've got a pretty good opportunity to close out strong, maybe even push for for a top-four seed and double-buy in the SEC tournament, which would be pretty significant for Todd Golden in year two. Yeah, I mean, and and they're right on, you know, tied with Kentucky, who Kentucky, I think, seems like they're a little bit overrated. Uh, this year, uh, but you had to like, like you said, the w- the way that Florida has gone about it this year, and despite you know almost losing, like we talked about they've been a team to deal with, and again, it helps when you're eleven and one at home. You know, you're winning the home games, you're winning the games you're supposed to win. Uh, on the road, you want to be five hundred. You know, those those are things you want to look at. They're not quite there, but I mean, they're close. So they're definitely doing the things that you want them to do. Uh, for me, the top dog is going to be Tennessee. Now, despite the fact that South Carolina and Alabama sit at the top of the conference in standings, Tennessee feels like a, a safer bet. I think that that 21-3 and three South Carolina record, which we talked about off air, is a little misleading uh, based on who they've played, their schedule. 
they've been able to feast off of nine quad four victories. Um, so they're not playing a top level to- uh, competition. Uh, Alabama Auburn can be right up there. I think you could probably go Alabama Auburn or Tennessee in this uh, if you really wanted to go down to it. I think I'd probably stick with Tennessee just because I. Which coach do I believe in most? And maybe it's Rick Barnes. Yeah, right now that's the coach I believe in most. Come tournament time, I don't Might know. Change. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, but um, no, I mean, I think I agree with what you said. I think that you really could go either way, any direction between Tennessee, Alabama, and Auburn. I think, you know, they're five, six, and seven in the net. So they're all right neck and neck. And they've all looked at, at different times, like maybe the best team um, in the SEC. You know, Auburn's had a bit of a rougher stretch recently. So they've kind of squandered some momentum. Tennessee, you know, coming off a pretty bad loss on the road to Texas A&M, which then in turn lost on the road, you know, took an even worse loss to Vanderbilt last night. So that's not a great loss for Tennessee. But still, you know, they've got some really impressive wins there. You know, they killed Florida at home. They beat Alabama by 20 on the road, which that to me is the the real one here that's like, wow. So I think that, you know, that is is really helping them. And you look at their 17 and 6 record, and it's not the most impressive record in the world, but I would contextualize it a bit by saying they played a three-game stretch in November. They took three straight losses, and those losses were to Purdue, Kansas, and North Carolina. So since November 29th, they've lost three games. So, I mean, I think that this is very clearly one of the better teams in the country right now. You know, Dalton Connect – I believe leads the SEC in scoring, uh, averaging like 20 points a game. He's been just a nightmare to try to contain. So, uh, you know, I, this is a really intriguing Tennessee team. I think it's maybe the best Tennessee team that Rick Barnes has had there. I mean, if, if it's not the best, it's one of the best. Just get to the second weekend, man. Just do it. Just you gotta get to the second weekend. <laughs> yeah, they got a they got a tough way to close out the season, playing Auburn at home, Alabama on the road. South Carolina on the road, and then they have Kentucky to close out the season at home. I mean, it's yeah, that's right tough, now, that's tough right. for sure. So I mean, yeah, that's that's going to be a tough one. Uh, but you know, when you look at you know the the different conferences, there's a lot to be played for in the next three plus weeks, along with the tournaments coming up. There's going to be a lot of good basketball on, and it's definitely a good time. If you haven't tuned in yet, football's over, the Super Bowl's over. Uh, the fighting Patrick Mahomes, once again, Super Bowl champions. So I, I will definitely take that. But now that football is completely done, all eyes are on basketball as we get ready for March and uh, as we get ready to fill out your bracket that you know is going to get busted. Uh, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, but that will do it for this edition of the College 12-Pack. Come back next week, talk a little bit more basketball, and maybe we'll be talking about a another history-chasing uh, performance for Caitlin Clark.